0: Great song, really catchy tune, but if you really listen to it, do we really bless his name when things aren't going so well? When those barns are empty, do we bless his name? Well, quick joke this morning, does anyone know where Noah kept his bees? The answer would be in the archives, of course. There it is. There it is, sports fans. That's it. That's all, that's all your... That was it. What do you expect for five bucks, huh? I don't know. All right. This morning, we're going to continue our series, Real Christianity, and I've entitled the message, The Holy Spirit. Lord, just love humor, but this will not be humorous this morning, and... I just ask, Holy Spirit, you invited everyone here and that you would give them soft hearts and ears to hear your truth. You'd give me the ability to speak your word, Lord. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just fill me and that you would exalt Jesus now and that he would clearly be seen. And I thank you for what you're going to do now and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when it comes to Christianity, the Holy Spirit is absolutely pivotal and essential. In fact, Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 12, uh, starting at verse 30. Skip, can you put up those verses? Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that will not be forgiven Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, even in this age or the age to come. Obviously, this Gets your attention, doesn't it? And it rightly so should get your attention. It should get my attention. Right here in these verses, it contains what we call the unpardonable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You know, there are times people will come to me and, you know, they'll think that they committed this sin, and it is a grave sin indeed because it is unforgivable, but I tell them, don't worry, you haven't committed it. By the mere fact that you're worried about it tells me that you have not committed it yet. And you might be wondering, well, what is the impardonable sin? What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Contextually, in Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees committed it, the religious leaders committed it. Jesus Christ, he sees a man, you know, just writhing because of demonic possession. He casts the demon out. That's a beautiful thing. But the Pharisees who are watching this said, you do that by the finger of Beelzebub. You do that by the finger of Satan. And Jesus said, you have now just committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. You have to have a hardened heart. You have to have a calloused heart to sit there and see something so beautiful as Jesus casting a demon out of a man and saying, you're doing that by the power of Satan. You know, the question is, is can you commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit today? There's a lot of discussion about it. I believe that you absolutely can. I remember my first pastorate, It was in Weatherford, Texas. And I pastored Central Baptist Church. We called it a weekend pastor because I just went out there during the weekend. Rally day on Sunday would be about 40 to 45 people. And uh, one time uh, this middle-aged man showed up. And it's always easy to tell visitors when your average attendance is somewhere around 40. They just kind of stand out, you know. And there he was, and I began preaching, and, you know, it's easy to see the eyes of all 40 people or so. And this guy, I mean, the Holy Spirit falls on him. He just becomes convicted. He begins, we had pews then, and and he's just clenching the back of the pew with one hand. I mean, this guy is so convicted. You can see the white knuckles. He's so convicted. Susan, remember seeing this guy? You couldn't help but see him. Now, being Southern Baptist, of course, at the end of the message, you have to do an altar call. And, and those are the days of just as I am. Come, you know, without a plea. And the organist is playing. And I'm certain that this guy is going to come forward. And to my shock and amazement, he does not come forward, but he does come back the next week, and he comes back the next week after that, and he does that for about two or three months. But each time, you could see the conviction become less and less and less. And finally, the man no longer appeared. Now, the question is, did he commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? The answer is possibly you see, the unpardonable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, occurs when you experience this conviction. You experience this conviction and, and you don't respond. And every time you don't respond, your heart gets a little harder. Your heart gets a little harder. It gets a little more calloused until you finally get to the point where you can no longer respond to the Holy Spirit. And that's a horrible place to find yourself. As many of you know, I tend to do a fair amount of witnessing and, you know, uh, quite often. Uh, I, I had the privilege of sharing the hope that is within me. And one of the tools that I use when witnessing is called Peace with God Track. Skip, can you put it up? Here's part of the Peace with God Track. And, you know, I'm a guy. See, guys like pictures. So this works really well. In fact, we were on UAlbany campus, and the guys really appreciated the pictures, you know. Well, ladies can handle the words, but the pictures are great. And and you see the gospel there, and you, and you lay it out. And you, you ask them their name, and you see, there you are, a, upper left-hand corner. See, you're holy, not perfect. God is holy and perfect. We're separated by our sin. And I, I ask them if they sinned, if they are a sinner. We actually use that three-letter word, and, and people wince a little bit. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I have, you know? And I said, you know, you earn a wage for your sin. Wow, really? And that wage is death. You know what death is? Well, yeah, it's when you go on the ground. No, I said, we're talking about soul death. We're talking about hell. Then I'll ask him, do you believe in hell? It's amazing how many go, yeah, I I think there really is a hell. I said, well, you see, life is short and eternity is long. You're going to go to one of two places. And I ask them how you span that gap. And we talk and we share the gospel with them that it's not by works. See, works won't get you there. It's not by going to church. It's none of those things. It's only through Jesus Christ. And we talk about repentance of sin and what that means and, and, you know, coming to Christ. And, uh, you know, what's absolutely amazing to me, though, is I share the good news, the gospel. How many people say to me, you know, what you're saying makes sense here. And I'll say, well, great, do you, do you want to trust in Jesus Christ? And, and you'd be surprised how many people say something like, well, you know, it does make sense, but, you know, I got a lot of sin I mean, living to do, and, uh, you know, maybe when I get old, I'll, I'll receive Jesus. Now, there's a, two problems with that answer. The first problem with that answer is no one knows the day that they're going to die. Anybody here know the day you're going to die? None of us knows the day that we're going to die. But, you know, there's a second problem, and it's even a greater problem. I say, you know what? If you get older, by the time you get older, you probably won't even care. Your heart will become so hardened that you won't even be able to repent. You won't care about receiving Jesus. You won't care about heaven or hell. You want proof? Let me give you the proof. You know, they do studies on everything. Studies have actually been done to find out when people get saved, at what age they come to Christ. Skip, can you put up the graphic? Here's the graphic. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Look at the ages. Look at that big yellow span. Ages 4 to 14. That's when the vast majority of people actually come to Christ. Look at 15 to 30, 10%, 30 plus, you know? So you see, it's heavily weighted toward the youth. Toward the young people. This shouldn't surprise us that young people are open to Jesus. Jesus, in fact, said in Matthew 19 and verse 14, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. You know, and if you ever deal with children, if you have children, it's amazing how open they are to God and the supernatural, unless, of course, they grow up in an atheistic family and they're brainwashed against it. But, but young people are very, very open to the good news, to the gospel. But the shame of it is, as they get older, and they get, go back, skip to the chart, you become less and less likely. In fact, here's what I found. If you leave college not having placed your faith and trust in Jesus, there's only a 5% chance after that, that you will come to Christ. And if you reach the age of 55 or 60, maybe only 1%. Only 1%. Become born again. Can you understand that? So it's not something that you want to toy with. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I brought up the controversial topic of becoming born again. And we were introduced in John chapter 3 to a man who was virtually the equivalent of our senator, Warren Buffett, and, and a priest all together. And he comes to Jesus at night. Now remember, this guy's a religious guy. He goes to church weekly. He reads his Bible. He prays. He fasts. I mean, this guy is teaching Sunday school. Every, almost every American church would want this guy. But listen to what Jesus says to him in John chapter 3. Skip, can you put up those verses just to remind us? So he's talking to this guy, Nicodemus. In reply, Jesus declares to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered I tell you the truth no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. You know Right then and there, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, this great religious leader, if you were to die right now, you would die in your sins and you would spend eternity in hell. And Nicodemus is absolutely blown away. It never even crossed his mind that he wasn't going to be in heaven when he died. Yet Jesus tells him that he must be born again. And he tells him, first of all, that means you must be born of water. And we saw a couple of weeks ago, that's a reference to the baptism of John the Baptist, which was a baptism of repentance. The Pharisees, in fact, visited Jesus, or our John the Baptist, and they rejected John's baptism. They said, we don't need to be repent of anything. Are you kidding me? They were kind of like Donald Trump. Remember when Donald Trump was running for president, a reporter interviews him and at one point in the interview the reporter asked Trump if he needed to be forgiven. And Trump responded, he was a little shocked and dismayed he goes, "I have not asked God for forgiveness because I don't have much to apologize for." Trump went on to say that he was a Presbyterian and I would have said God will forgive you for that. And then he, <laughs> and then he said this, but then he said this. He goes, he goes and I quote, "I have a great relationship with God. Nicodemus, he's standing before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He goes, I got a great relationship with God. And Jesus is going, really? Really? He said, I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a Pharisee. I observe the law. And you know what? Jesus wasn't impressed. In fact, Jesus said this at one point to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. Skip, can you put it up? Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you are full of dead men bones and everything unclean. You know, these Pharisees, they would come out, they were dressed to the hilt in those days. I mean, these guys look squeaky clean on the outside. It's kind of like a lot of American Christians, isn't it? You come walking in and Many of you actually showered, you brushed your teeth, got the crest white strip thing going, you comb your hair, you look good, you got the smile. But you know what? God sees everyone walking in, you know what he looks at? He looks at the heart. See, these Pharisees were full of darkness. Darkness. And so many people come walking in the doors and they're full of greed and they're full of lust and they're full of envy and they're full of bitterness and anger and all of selfishness, all of these things. And God sees them walking in. And he says, I don't care if you showered. And I don't care if your outside's clean. But what I do care about is your inside. Your inside needs a shower. And Nicodemus is just blown away by this. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that he must repent. He must repent of the darkness. He must deal with the darkness on the inside. He must admit to it. He must say, I no longer want it. And then he must turn to Jesus. Because you see, dark hearts lead to dark deeds. But then Jesus said, not only must you be born of water, he said to Nicodemus, you must be born of the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, we have seen that repentance is absolutely essential. You must repent. You must be born of water. Without repentance, without turning away from your sin, without turning from the world and turning to Jesus, there is no born-againness whatsoever. It is absolutely critical to becoming born again. But let me ask you this question. What precedes repentance? What What precedes repentance? Jesus gives us the answer in John chapter 16. Skip, can you put it up? But in fact, now Jesus is his final night on planet Earth and he says this, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will what? He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness, that's Jesus. He is the righteous one and of the coming judgment. The Holy Spirit is absolutely essential, absolutely essential to born-againness. And Jesus makes that crystal clear. He, in other words, what he's saying is, is without the Holy Spirit, you will not experience conviction. Without the Holy Spirit, where you're not going to experience those pangs of guilt. Without the Holy Spirit, you're not going to really understand that you've done wrong rather than right And let me tell you this, if you're not experiencing conviction, then there's no repentance. And if you don't experience real repentance, then there is no born-againness. And I want you to tell you now, listen to me really closely now. There is a great, great delusion sweeping the land, sweeping the American church. The delusion is this, we cannot distinguish between superficial faith and genuine faith. Two of the most alarming verses occur in John chapter 2. Skip, quickly put them up. Says this. Now, watch this. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem. Now, watch this. At the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. We think that's awesome. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature, he knew the human heart. No one needed to tell him what mankind was really like. Can you believe what Jesus is saying? Jesus, I mean, it's a play on words. Pistuis, they use the Greek word. So these people are believing in Jesus, yet Jesus doesn't believe in them. You know why? Because he knows their heart. Their heart hadn't changed. They hadn't truly become born again. They just had what is called a superficial faith. Now, this is scary. So it is possible for you to have a faith that is not a saving faith. It is not a regenerative faith. It is not a faith that has created change in your life. Oh, and I'll tell you what, this is absolutely terrifying. So to the point where if you have a superficial faith, there is no eternal life. There is no real relationship with God. You know, so many today in America call themselves Christians. Did you know that? It still holds that 70 to 75% of Americans call themselves Christians. Now, Barna, who's the foremost religious pollster today, he says, though, that only 35% of Americans claim to be born again. That would be about 110 Americans claim that they are born again. Isn't that interesting? Well, here's what Barna found out, though. He found out that less than half of those people who claim to be born again had any kind of transformation in their life and had a biblical worldview. Less than half did. That means that probably in America today, at best, there's 40 to 50 million born-again people. The rest are deluded In other words, the reality is the vast majority of American Christians have a superficial faith, not a born-again faith. And they will hear from Jesus if they died in that state. I never knew you. I never knew you. No, no. Depart from me. Can you imagine that? They think they're saved. They said, well, I have a faith. But Jesus says it's not a saving faith. It wasn't a transformational faith. You know why this is happening in America because we have preachers, and I'm sorry. It, it, it pains me to stand up here anymore and admit I'm a preacher. I am embarrassed. I am embarrassed to say that I'm a pastor anymore because of what is being taught in the American pulpits. You have superficial gospel coming out. So let's just talk about Joel Olstein for a moment. And people think I want to pick on him, but here's the reason why I pick on him is because you know, he's out there. Now, I don't know, if Skip, you have this picture or not, but Joel Olstein has the largest church in America. Do you know that at, at, at in, in Houston, Texas, Lakewood Church, on any given Sunday, there's over 50,000 people who are attending. But see, that's only half the story. You go look at a map, you go to his website, do you know that there's thousands and thousands of pastors who are Osteenites? Literally, they follow Joel's gospel. And Joel does have a gospel. Now watch this, what it says in Galatians chapter one, because this is terrifying. I want you to understand what's at stake here and why I I am embarrassed and why I'm appalled at what's going on. Skip, can you put up Galatians chapter one? It's there, isn't it? Hello? There we go. I am astonished, now look at Paul, He's like he goes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, so it's possible to have a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, really, and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. There's a lot at stake here. That's another reason why you shouldn't want to be a preacher or teacher. As we have already said, and so I say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. So here's the gospel of Joel. And he unabashedly tells you this. He goes, I will not use the word sin. I do not talk about repentance, and I do not talk about hell. That His gospel is minus those three words. Yet here is Jesus' gospel. Put up Mark chapter 1, verse 15. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. Here's Jesus' gospel. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. You know, we just kind of skate over that. He, he actually says the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. you know why the kingdom of God was near 2,000 years ago? Because the king was there. Do you realize that if the Jews had received Jesus, a thing called the millennial kingdom would have come? You say, what? Yeah, there's a, there's a time. When Jesus comes back, he's going to reign. His kingdom is the final kingdom. You say, well, what is that going to look like? Well, let me share with you Revelation 19. We're just rock and rolling. Come on, Skip, can you put that up? Revelation 19 says this. And I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly And wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire. Ooh, this is Jesus meek and mild. And on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understands except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood. Whoa. And his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen. Can you imagine being with Jesus in this now? Followed him on a white horse. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with all kinds of tolerance. Oh, I mean, no, that's his iron iron rod. He will release his fierce wrath of God Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe and on his thigh was written the title, King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let me tell you something. When Jesus Christ comes back, it's a kingdom of righteousness. It is a kingdom of righteousness. Sin will not be tolerated. you know why? Because Jesus is love. You see, love doesn't tolerate sin. Sin is destructive. It's not only destructive to the person committing the sin. It's destructive to the people around them. And Jesus Christ, mark my words, is true love. And his gospel is he came to forgive sin, which is awesome. He came to deliver you and I from the power of sin. He came to obliterate sin. At the very heart of the gospel is the obliteration of sin and Jesus dealing with sin. Now apparently Joel and thousands of preachers like him don't think you can handle truth. They don't think you can handle hearing that you are a sinner and that sin separates you from God because that might hurt your little psyche and you might not just be able to handle that. They don't think you can handle that you need to hear that you need to repent. They view that as a negative word. Can you believe that? They think that if I tell you or they tell their audience that they need to repent of their sin, well, they're they're, going to feel bad about themselves and have low self-esteem. No, no, it's a positive word. Because, see, when you repent, you'll find a forgiving Savior and one who will not only forgive you but give you power to overcome your strongholds and addictions. They think you can't handle that there is a judgment to come. Because you'll have nightmares. And it's tragic. And so, you know what Joel's gospel is? You can listen to it. Joel's gospel is, Jesus loves you. And there's some truth to what he says. That's the tragic part. Jesus loves you. And he he died on the cross for your sins. And if you say a little prayer with me, Then you will get your get out of hell free card and you will just have a blessed life. And he will help you to achieve all of your dreams and goals and desires. And you know what? People by the thousands right now are coming to that gospel. That is a different gospel all around. Even here in the capital, my heart breaks because it's kind of like adding this, you know, genie Jesus to your life. And he's going to make everything better. Of course. And they're being baptized into the, by, by the hundreds. And they go into the baptismal water, And they all think that as they, so they come out, that they're genuinely saved and born again. And it, No, no. It's scary. And then they're going to stand before Jesus and realize they received a different gospel. Because at the heart of the gospel is sin, my rebellion, and the need to repent from it. And let me tell you, only the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit. If you're experiencing this conviction now, don't, don't, don't sit there and, 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 and resist the Holy Spirit. It's the dumbest thing you can do. If the Holy Spirit's working on you, don't resist him. His whole goal is to bring you life and healing and freedom. This is the gospel. This is the real gospel. And we're not giving the gospel. At the heart of the gospel is sin and repentance and forgiveness and life. Have you received that gospel? That's the Jesus of the New Testament. All right, well, let me just go to the challenge because we got to. <laughs> you know, like I said, it's just it's amazing. You know, all, all the time I will hear people say, Wow, I went, I went to such and such and such and such a place. Where I was at a concert. Woo." the Holy Spirit was really working, really moving. It was, it was incredible. I go, really? Because honestly, and let me tell you, I haven't felt the power of the Holy Spirit like I did back in the early 80s. I'll be perfectly blunt with you. What people are talking to me about is emotionalism. Let me tell you how you can know if the Spirit of God is really moving. This is how we end. Put up back John 16, could you? So so, so we get some objectivity to this, all right, at least. But Jesus is saying to his grieving disciples, I'm going to go away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking me where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. So Jesus is best that he leaves because if I don't, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I'm going to send him to you. Jesus is the one who sent at Pentecost the Spirit into the world. And when he comes, here it is again, he will convict the world of sin. So one of the true marks that the Holy Spirit is really present is conviction. You know, I love reading about the revivals. You ever read about the first great awakening? And all of a sudden, they'd be preaching. Maybe it was Edwards. Maybe it was you know, and, and these guys, they, they weren't like... Edwards is going, and you're like a spider, and you're dangling by one little thread over the pits of fire, over the pits of hell and fire, and it's ready to lap up its flames and burn you. It said, you know, the conviction was so great that, you know, people were just almost hanging from the rafters because of the conviction. I mean, you read about any of these great movements, and one of the things, there's tears, people are on their knees repenting. Because of the conviction. And he says, "So the first way you know the spirit is, is evidence: people become convicted and are repenting of their sin, and it says, "Of God's righteousness." You know who's the righteousness of God? Jesus. you know who be, I, you know, before I got saved, I was into football. My heroes were the purple people eaters, the front four, sacking people, sacking quarterbacks. Those, they, they were my heroes. I got saved. And guess who became my hero? Jesus. I want to be like him. That's what he's saying. See, when the Spirit's really moving, there's a movement and you want to be, not only are you convicted of your sin, he becomes your hero. I just look at people now and they have this hero and that hero and I just say, I, I know where they were or are because I used to be there. And how sad to change or, or chase a, a, a person if you cut, You know, your hero, your human hero, they bleed and they die. Jesus is righteousness personified. And see, when the Spirit's really moving, people, their eyes are open. They go, ah, Jesus is who we seek to emulate. And finally, it said, when the Spirit's really moving, there's a conviction about the coming judgment. There's an understanding that you're going to be accountable and there's a holy fear that comes. You see a holy fear. And you know what th- that creates? It causes people to quit pursuing the temporal and they begin to pursue the eternal. See, when the Spirit of God is moving, do you get it? There's, there, there's conviction of sin. There, there's a pointing to Jesus and people become intoxicated with Jesus. Isn't that great? They become, I mean, he, he becomes everything. And they become aware, wow, this life doesn't matter. It's eternity. Now that's, when you know the Spirit of God's moving. Is the Spirit of God moving in you? Is he? Is he? Lord, I pray that. I, I thank you for each person that's here this morning. You you brought them here for a reason. And I ask as we sing this last song that you really... No one would resist you this morning. I am so tired of standing up here and feeling the resistance, Lord. And I'm asking that there be a breakthrough this morning. By the blood and authority of Jesus Christ, I evict you, Satan, right now from this place. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you be totally free just to move in the hearts and the minds of people right now and not let this word die. And I'm asking for this in your precious name. Amen. How much to say after that. We will certainly have up, people up here wanting to pray with you. The Spirit of God's moving on your life. We'd love to talk with you about Jesus. Also, interestingly enough, uh, we're. On the corner, holding signs on Tuesdays, and just five to six, and it's a great opportunity to really warn people. We we have gospel signs, and it's great. We had twenty one out the last Tuesday. Also, we, Jesus Soda Survey has started. We got two this Saturday. You'll see Denny in the corner there. See him. It's a wonderful opportunity to share the hope that's within you. And please remember, we always have cake here <laughs> because it's a very spiritual food of heaven. And, and please join us with that. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And may in your heart, may there truly be a heart that is soft, a heart of humility,
1: because it's filled with conviction and repentance. God bless you and take care. Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church welcome to our sunday podcast coming to you from the town of bethlehem in upstate new york in the usa bethlehem community church is an independent non-denominational bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations we believe that it is only through the love of the father the sacrifice of our lord and savior jesus christ on the cross and the power of the holy spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with god We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our Statement of Faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's b-c-c-d-e-l-m-a-r.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known.